Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, this is the Relunchables Podcast. I'm Jordan Holzer, and each episode will be breaking down another 90s, early 2000s kids movie. I am not alone. Each episode, I'll be having on special guests to help me relive my childhood. This is a bonus episode in which I bring on the writer of Alley Cat Strike, Gregory Pincus. You may know some of Greg's other work, including Picture Perfect, Quince, and one of my all-time favorites, Little Big League. It was such a pleasure having Greg on the podcast, and I have to say, this may be the best interview yet. So let's get into my interview with writer, author, and poet, Greg Pincus. And just because I love hearing it, let's play the Disney Channel original movie, Intro Music. We are now joined by the writer of Alley Cat Strike, Gregory Pincus. Greg, thank you so much for joining the Relunchables podcast. Uh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me on. My listeners, of course, know some of your other work, such as Quince, Picture Perfect, uh, and Little Big League, one of my personal favorites. But I want to go even further back. How did you know you wanted to be a writer and, and what led you down that path? I knew I wanted to write all along. I went to college and studied both writing and computer science and and realized that uh, when I graduated, I didn't want to get a computer science job. So I moved to Los Angeles right after college to try to be a screenwriter. I'd studied mostly playwriting and other creative writing up until then. Um, but I always loved the movies and TV and such. So I thought I would try that. Um, and I did. I have to say, I think our generation, kids born in you know the 90s and growing up in the early 2000s, really were, were there for the peak of children's programming, the so-called golden age. Uh, I'm curious, what attracted you to uh, kids' content? Was it something that you were passionate about? Was it something that you just saw an opportunity in? How did you get into kids' programming? It's a combination of all those things. I mean, I've always, I love stories that focus on in a kids in unusual circumstances or the types of story, things that I wish had happened to me as a kid or could have happened to me as a kid. I've written all sorts of things that aren't just that, but um, I think the stories that really always resonated with me most as a reader and then writing were the ones that were about that kind of 12 year old age ish. Um, because it's such a formative time and most people don't give kids enough credit for being able to navigate on their own and survive in the world and do things or feel huge feelings. And I just loved that. And it was a time, as you note, that was full of people willing to tell those stories in a way that wasn't a huge budget action movie, but that there were lots of different ways to just look at the story. So Little Big League was the first thing that I actually sold. And because it was kid driven, that certainly opened every other kid driven door for me. And I just love stories of that age range. So it's passion and there was an opportunity. 
what was the inspiration? I'd be remiss if I had you on and didn't talk about Little Big League because I probably have seen that movie maybe at least a hundred times growing up. <laughs> and for someone like myself, a, a young Jewish kid growing up in New York who knew that they were probably never going to be a professional athlete, I kind of was able to relate to maybe being able to own the team one day. So I, I mean, I, it's an actual story. I actually was driving on the 405 freeway here one day and and driving to uh, to a job and said. What if a kid actually owned a baseball team? Because I played Little League from the time I was like five. My dad was a coach. Other people in coach was a small town. Everyone played Little League. I've loved baseball my whole life. So I always knew and I love sports stories. Um, And so it kind of combined both things because baseball, I mean, is about the love of the game for me. And it always was. And it is for like most professional athletes too they you know it's easy to forget that but they grew up because it's fun and it's interesting and there's so many layers to it as a sport and like you I was not um, likely to have a professional career although at 12 I I was sure I would Um, definitely definitely would Uh, so it was a way to kind of relive a different angle on that fantasy of like okay I'm not really going to be the star. But what could I do? I know baseball. I could have been the manager. Yeah. Um, and so that's what that's what inspired it. I rewatched it the other week, actually. And what really just jumps off the screen is just the purity and the love for baseball. And I think it's easy to get lost with that now, especially considering all the, you know, the scandals we have going on with MLB at the moment. Yeah. It just it took me back to a better time, maybe. Was it was it the same for you? Uh, yeah. I mean, so the movie went through a lot of different hands from my script to where it ended up on the screen. But the one thing that held true all along was that everyone recognized that like, if you're going to do baseball, let's do baseball. And it really is. I mean, there were a lot of baseball movies at that time. And I would argue that it's baseball footage and it's understanding of baseball and how the baseball looks, the game itself looks is best in little big league compared to anything. I mean, when Griffey hits that home run, man, (laughs) it's like, that's so real. And, you know, they carefully cast. Everyone had some sort of playing experience so that they actually looked like they were playing baseball instead of quite often. It looks like you've learned how to look like you're playing baseball. Um, and so and there were a lot of big leaguers who were cast in it, too, which helped. Um, but, yeah, the baseball aspect of it is very pure. And that's really wonderful. And I think that's why it's lasted as long as it has and the why, why it is as loved by those who love it um you know there are lots of great baseball movies but i think that particular aspect of little big league really helps it stand out so moving from a movie that had tremendous sports scenes to movies that maybe didn't have the best realistic depictions of sports i want to talk about the disney channel original movies (laughs) and of course while we have you on alley cat strike so tell me about when that first came to you, did Disney Channel approach you? Did you write that on spec? What happened there? So I was actually working with producers who were working with the Disney Channel. They'd done, uh, they had another project there as well. And then there was, uh, there was a report at the time called the Popcorn Report, which was put out by a woman named Faith Popcorn. It has nothing to do with popcorn itself. And it was kind of a trends report, and it would look at things going on in the nation. And it pointed out that, in a non-surprise, that bowling was the top participation sport in America. And so we're like, well, you know, if that many people love bowling, what about a bowling movie? Which is a statement that you really, when I moved to be a screenwriter, was not something that was top of my list. And so we mulled that for a while. And 
bowling as a participation sport, I mean, bowling is fun and bowling, there are leagues and people do it, but how do you make drama out of bowling <laughs> was the question. I mean, baseball has a whole seasonal arc. I mean, it's natural and we all know the World Series and bowling has a professional tour, but you know, and I, I'm sure I watched it as a kid on the wide world of sports, I'm sure I did, but it's not compelling sports. Um, and so I went off and came up with the idea of how to make bowling more important in this was to have it become the pivotal and unexpected sport where everyone knew, well, this is ridiculous. And no one really was into this idea, including the kids who were most into bowling, to be thrust into that situation so that there'd be a different type of inherent drama. And once I came up with that, we were able to figure out, like, you know, well, that, that leads to an obvious set of story points. And... We ran with it, and part of the uh, part of the fun and part of the challenge was to make bowling actually matter, to make bowling understandable, to make bowling uh, interesting and have some drama in it, just like any other sport. No, and I think you definitely hit that. It was funny. I rewatched it last night, and how did you come up with the concept of the mighty apple? I guess as a way to make bowling at the forefront you know i think you had to have some sort of semblance of you know we have to care about bowling and how do we care about bowling well it's the last sport left for these two towns that are in deep competition with each other to finally determine who the winner is right i mean i think that was the as i said that was kind of the the thing that unlocked it all was how do you how do you make bowling or any sport really at that age level bigger and it could be a big competition but I wasn't familiar with any big citywide bowling competitions that I could draw from. You know, the World Series is one thing, but nothing. And so it was going back from the idea of, okay, what could make it bigger? What could make this have stakes that these kids would be torn and how we could play with the classic, you know, the Disney Channel classic of popular kid, unpopular kid, um, and all those things. And I think what really kind of unlocked that was towns have competitions with other towns, little local trophies, and it's in sports too, like different college teams they play for the, you know, the mighty tin pail or whatever it might be that is separate from your league and division, but is just two specific teams um, battling. And so I don't know if I'd run across an article of that or just remembered things like that. So I came up with something similar to that. I mean, there's so many of them, in, like it just if you look in the world of college football, there's so many ceremonial trophies that go back and forth between two teams that they play for. Um, and so with that idea of, okay, well, let's pit two towns against each other, that made it a lot easier to say, okay, well, how would bowling get in there? And you know, look, it works in the movie, but I'll, I will be the first to admit that it's a little bit of a convoluted setup, right? It's like, hey, these two towns play each other and they're tied and they've never <laughs> been tied before. And bowling is, yeah, yeah okay. It's convoluted, but it worked. Gotcha. Uh, <laughs> I'm curious, did you watch any of the Disney Channel original movies prior to having written the script to Alley Cat Strike to kind of get a sense of what the beats were? Or did you just kind of write it on your own? I must have. I mean, I don't I don't recall when I saw what, but I've seen a lot of the ones from the from what we would call the classic era. Um, and, you know, the, the Disney Channel itself had I wouldn't call it a 
formula, but more of a template. They wanted kid in a kid's world. They didn't want adults solving problems. They want the kids solving problems. Adults are obviously part of it. And there were certain, I'd call them beats for lack of a better term, that work within that formula so that they'd be consistently, you can see them in a lot of the Disney Channel movies that it's, you know, you know it's going to work out. You don't know exactly how it's going to work out. And it's not always a perfectly happy ending, but you know, the kids are going to solve the problems in the kids' world, and the problems are going to be between kids, and they're going to have to come up with their own solutions. Um, so I, it wasn't so much that it would be based on other movies, but there's a reason why there's a familiar structure. I mean, but you can also see within that structure how different the different movies ended up being. I think it's pretty remarkable, looking back on the film, just how insane the careers have been of the, of the cast members of Alley Cat Strike. You have Kelly Cuoco, who you know rose to fame in Big Bang Theory and, and Charmed, and uh, Kyle Schmidt and, and Laura Vandervoort. And we interviewed uh, Robert Richard for the podcast, and he said he still even has his Letterman's jacket from Alley Cat Strike. It still fits, <laughs> and he still wears it. I, I don't know if this is the most popular the cast has been from any of the Disney Channel original movies. You can maybe say High School Musical, but honestly, it's, it's pretty remarkable. It really is remarkable, and I don't remember who did the casting for the movie, but they're the ones who uh, probably deserve the kudos. Um, and I do think that, like, it, it's, I mean, you, I, I've watched it also relatively recently, and the performances are really great. Everyone knew, like, it, it's it's incredibly satisfying to see, and people, it's no wonder when I watch it, it's no wonder that people had the careers that they had, because they, you know, they had charm and attitude and... They, you, I believe them in these parts. And that's not true in everything when you end up with kid and teen performers. But I think in Alley Cat Strike, it was uniformly true. And, and also the adults who they cast in this were also just all really fit their parts extraordinarily well. So. It seems like a lot of the Disney Channel original movies were trying to hit the same message at the end, which is you know kind of accept everyone, kind of breaking down stereotypes. Did you have that as kind of like an overall theme as you were writing or what kind of things did you want people to take away from the movie? I mean, I definitely wanted people in this to take away the idea that, hey, we have more in common than we have different. I mean, it's, you know, it's idealistic, but um, I think, you know, hope at the end to me, this writing for this age is always about finding hope, which doesn't mean that everything turns out the way you want. It doesn't mean that you're always going to save the bowling alley. It means that you're going to have the possibility of people getting along and other things. And, you know, not not every Disney Channel movie deals with the issues that go with that. I mean, it's, it's often a, it's a perfect world except for the problem that is being confronted. There was no other problems in this town other than the bowling alley was going to fail. We don't deal with any of the other major issues that might have been going on, and that's in part because that's not the type of entertainment that we are going for, and in part because you only have so much time. Um, but I definitely wanted people to recognize fun, recognize the fact that different people bring different things to the table, and that, again, we have more in common than we have apart, even if it's bowling versus basketball or jock versus the outcast, but everyone's different to someone else. Um, so. Yeah, we never addressed, you know, the mayor, Tim Reed's character. He had apparently had a pretty bad gambling addiction, it seems, throughout the movie. He kept raising the stakes of, you know, the game on these poor teenagers. I felt yeah. bad for them. 
Yeah, I mean, I think I think those who <laughs> left on the cutting room floor, the the difficult uh, meetings where he's calling the gambling hotline. I mean, we just didn't we didn't think those scenes were really worth keeping. Um, <laughs> right. A Disney Channel movie gives you carte blanche to do things like that and not have to actually address the, any real world complications. There's a lot of pressure put on those kids, utterly unnecessary. But he also learns his lesson at the end, doesn't he? <laughs> yes, he does. I want to move to something, which is, I guess, is a little bit fun internet fact. Back in, like, 2014, I believe, I think you know where I'm going with this, but Wikipedia, Alley Cat Strike had the longest plot summary on Wikipedia out of any film, any film. And I'm curious, and I know I think they uh, maybe edited it down, and then you took it and put it on a new website, alleycatstrike.com. Yeah. What, what happened there? I have absolutely no idea, other than someone loved that movie. I mean, that, that plot summary... It's basically the novelization of the movie. I had absolutely no idea until, I, you know, I have a Google alert that, that tells me whatever news, whenever an alley cat strike is mentioned, because it's kind of fun. And, you know, it's like it's like following my child. And so I got this story about that and I went out and looked at it and I could not believe it. And Wikipedia rightfully, you know, took it down because that's not what a Wikipedia thing is for. And then I I actually bought the domain alleycatstrike.com and because I wanted to memorialize someone's amazing work. And then I put it up and then Wikipedia moderator wrote me and said, you know, you can't actually post that without certain types of permission. So I had to like actually get <laughs> permissions to because uh, it was not original work. I have no idea who wrote it, but yeah, it was the longest summary of any movie uh, on Wikipedia, which is, again, when you talk about bizarre claims to fame for a movie, that is one that uh, never would have crossed my mind back in 1999 when it was uh, being made. What a strange thing, but lovely. And it's a really quite accurate uh, thing. I think they brought things to it that I didn't even write in the script. Yeah, I read it through. It's really well done. It's about, I think it's like 25% of the actual script itself. So yeah. it's, it's detailed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's, it's extraordinary. I know you wrote another film, Quince. How did that come about? Was it something, it seems like a very different type of story. I don't know if you had any experience with growing up with siblings or anything like that. I guess what was the inspiration for Quince? So the inspiration for Quince was actually the, the producers uh, of the movie, uh, Stan Brooks and, and Scott Anderson. One of them had read an article. There was like, I think, I can't remember if it was quintuplets or septuplets that had been born. Um, and there, there were all sorts of stories about them in the news. And at the end of one of the articles, it says, you know, they, they also have an older sister. And I'm like, <laughs> wow, what a footnote that would be to be like, you know, like, oh, suddenly, like you were the only one. And now suddenly you have all these siblings and they're getting all the attention and they need all the attention at this moment. And so that was... That was the inspiration. When they saw that, they were like, well, that's got, there's got to be a story in that. Um, and there was. It was not always easy to find what, like, that's true, that's an emotion, but that's not actually a story. And so trying to find what the story is. And that, I think, was often true with a lot of ideas that seemed like they could be right for the Disney Channel. It would be like, well, that's a moment, but that's not actually a story. Even bowling is the same thing. Like, well, bowling, great, but what's the movie that goes there. And Quince was the same thing. It's, I mean, it's a, it's what I would call a small movie. There's not a lot of stakes or drama in Quince. There's a lot more in Alley Cat Strike and that's still just about a sports trophy. So, uh, but that was the inspiration for Quince was just this little blurb in an article that was like, well, you know, they also have an older sister. What? <laughs> well. 
That's pretty incredible. And, and, I, and I do think Quint is probably the, one of the most underrated Disney Channel original movies. Because like you said, there's no big set pieces. It's really just, you know, dealing with one girl and her feelings of having all these siblings that are getting all the attention. And whether yeah. you have one sibling or 10 siblings or you're feeling neglected as a kid, I think that message really resonates with everyone. Yeah, I think so, too. And I think that's why it, it, it was why they made it was that it, there's a universal feeling in it. And, you know, it's it's for me personally, I, I got to meet Don Knotts. So and, you know, in, in, in making movies that 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 could be a highlight right there. But I think that uh, Quince, I think, again, as you said, it's just a universal type of feeling which works for that you know, at that age and that audience, we all feel whether we have quintuplets or an older sibling or a younger sibling or no siblings and wish we could be something different. That, that I think is why it works, but it is a, and I, I agree that it's also vastly underrated, vastly. Agreed. Uh, I'm sure my listeners would be curious as to what you're doing now. I think you wrote some children's books, maybe some poetry. So I'm yeah. curious, what are you up to now? I'm uh, I, I've, I transitioned sort of from film into to books um, for largely the same audience, um, the, the middle grade audience. The last one was a book called The Homework Strike, which stemmed from the fact that there was a law in California 100 years ago that homework was illegal for anyone under the age of 15 wow. um, throughout the state. And uh, so I'm working on another novel that uh, we will attempt to uh, to sell. And then poetry is an ongoing thing. It's National Poetry Month right now. I, I write a lot of children's poetry and I know a lot of fellow children poets. So this year, as I did many other years, I'm featuring a different poem by a different uh, children's poet every day for National Poetry Month because it may be April and we may be uh, all uh, sheltering in place, but poetry and uh, words still matter and still go on. Um, so I've done that out of my blog, got a book uh, for, I did that for a number of years and brought it back this year because there's time. And so I have a poetry collections and a novel that uh, hopefully will soon find homes and be out in the world. Awesome. Greg, I can't thank you enough for your time. I just had five quick rapid fire questions to okay. end on if you're ready. I'm ready. Uh, TV show you're currently binging during this quarantine. I admit that we watched uh, Tiger King. Um, with that mix of dread and oh, ah, ee, uh, uh, so I, I will just stop at that. <laughs> uh, favorite restaurant in Los Angeles? Oh, so many favorite restaurants in Los Angeles. Um, our big, our big go-to actually uh, uh, for celebrations is the Boneyard Bistro. It's which is just a nearby barbecue joint that is delicious and has a perfect thing for our family. Awesome. Uh, are you into swing music, or was that just for Alley Cat Strike? I like it. I'm not into it. It was for Alley Cat Strike that it seemed to be exactly right for what we were going for. I like it, but I'm not a I'm not a swing dancer or out there person. Favorite Disney Channel original movie that you weren't a part of? Ooh, that I wasn't a part of. I've always had a soft spot for Halloween Town. Nice. If you were approached about maybe writing a potential Alley Cat Strike sequel, and I kind of workshopped an idea with Robert Richard on our podcast where maybe his character, Todd McLemore, is, is the mayor of Appleton, and he has twin daughters who are maybe playing, maybe on the bowling team. Maybe one's a star bowler and one's not, and more of the TikTok influencer. Uh, would you <laughs> sign up to uh, write it? What do you think? Ab absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I mean, I loved the characters in there, and there's a lot that I wish we could have explored, and I love the idea of the uh, twin daughters who are doing the different things. Uh, so I'm, I'm all in. 
Okay, we got to call up Disney Channel, and we'll we'll get this moving. Uh, Greg, thank you so much for coming on the Relunchables podcast. Thanks for having me, John. I would like to thank my guest, Greg Pincus, for coming on the podcast. You can find him on Twitter. He's at Greg Pincus or at his website, gregpincus.com or his blog, Got a Book. You can subscribe to the Relunchables podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please leave us a rating or review, five stars only. Please tune in later this week for my interview with one of the stars of Alley Cat Strike, Robert Richard, who you may know from One on One, Cousin Skeeter, and Coach Carter. Stay tuned. For listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.